Thank you so much for that great song. If you would please open your Bibles to the book of Luke, and uh, we'll be reading from chapter 17 momentarily, and then we'll be in a few other scriptures as well, but Luke is going to at least provide the, uh, uh, the, the foundation for our thoughts. This is week two in our series, Let It Go. And uh, last week, if you weren't here, uh, we talked about how to overcome the daily temptations that we all have to become offended when something happens that we feel is unfair. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it takes place at the school, it involves our kid or, or our grandkid, and whenever it involves our kid or our grandkid, you know, we really get upset. We're like a mama bear. And so we tend to get offended easily there. Maybe it takes place at the church. We disagree with something. Or uh, maybe somebody turns their head when we walk by and they refuse to talk to us. We all, and you know about this, we all have those frequent opportunities to become offended. But Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, this is the verse that's kind of powering us through this entire series tells us how we should respond to those offenses. We, we read this last week. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. And so I'd like for all of us to read that together on, on the count of three. One, two, three. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Now, we're going to read that one more time, and then whenever come, we come to that word overlook, that's the key word, overlook. And, and I want us to just raise our voices and uh, kind of halfway shout out the word overlook, okay? One, two, three. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. So... If someone makes a snarky comment attacking you on social media, it is to your glory to overlook it. Remember what we said last week? I'm over it. If you have a disagreement with a friend, I'm over it. Your boss is really cranky and takes it out on you, I'm over it. You get upset at a restaurant or at a doctor or at the city council, Instead of making an ugly post on social media, I'm over it. Or your pastor makes another one of those horrible cat jokes. Well, that's something different, isn't it? Actually, just say, bless his heart, he can't help it, but I'm over it. Now, last week was a bit uncomfortable. But today, our journey in the Word will take us down a road that will be even more uncomfortable than last week. And if I could just open my heart to you uh, here at the very beginning, I, I've, I've been very apprehensive about today's lesson. I've, I've tried to spend extra time in prayer, and I've even asked several of you to help cover me in prayer because I have a feeling that this lesson will bring up in several of you some memories and emotions that are still very raw, and painful. Luke chapter 17, um, 1 through 5, uh, typically we would begin with verse 1, but instead of beginning with verse 1, I want to fast forward to the last verse that we're going to read in this segment, verse 5, 
in a moment, we'll then backtrack to verse 1. But as I read verse 5, most of you, especially if you were raised in a church setting, you will recognize this verse. But more than likely, most of us, most of us will not know the context for this verse. And, and, and I, I'm embarrassed. I've been in ministry for, for a few years now, and, and uh, I've read this verse, and I've used this verse. I've backed up, uh, you know, different uh, points with this verse. But until this last week, I did not know the context of this verse. And I'm sorry. That's embarrassing for me. But I'd never linked this verse back to the preceding verses to get the proper context. And so this past week, and, and I'm sorry, I'm in the slow class, but this past week, finally after 60 years, it was like God gave me just a nugget of understanding. I always love it when God just gives me something that I've never understood before. But this last week, my entire understanding and perspective of this scripture changed. So let me read verse 5, and then we'll backtrack. Here it is. You'll recognize this. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now, how many of you have heard this verse? You know, a lot of us. If you were raised in church, we have heard this verse. The question is, why did the apostles say this to Jesus? What led them to say, Lord, increase our faith? Well, let's find out. So let's backtrack to verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, and listen carefully, because this is a statement that's, man, it's chuck full of, of, uh, of an entire message. And I've never preached a message on this statement, and I've never heard a message on this statement, but probably something needs to be preached eventually, but this isn't our point. But things that cause people to sin are bound to come. Jesus is saying that Someone will do something, someone will say something that will get under our skin, and, and there will even be those times when someone that does something or says something, it will provoke us, and we will end up sinning. Now, that's a deep statement. Things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But then listen to this warning. Jesus says, but woe. Anytime you see the word woe, W-O-E, you had better go woe, W-H-O-A. Because woe, W-O-E, I looked up the word woe because I wanted to make sure I was right here. But the word woe literally means that something bad could happen and it would not be pretty. That's, that's what it really said. Something bad could happen, and it would not be pretty. So, woe to the person through whom they come. In other words, it won't be pretty for the person who does something or says something that might cause someone to sin. And then you've heard this verse, verse 2. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So, watch yourselves. If your brother sins, what are you to do? Rebuke him. As followers of Christ, we're not to just watch a person self-destruct in sin and say, well, I didn't know what to do. You know, I didn't want to make him mad, so I just 
decided to pray for them. Well, yes, you do pray for them. But the Bible says if someone sins, you're to do more than just pray for them. You are to rebuke them. And that doesn't mean to get in, your, in their face and go off on them. It means to restore them. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And then it goes on and says, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, as the disciples heard Jesus say that, I'm sure they were thinking, Jesus, I can do that. You know, if someone sins against me once, you know, I'll take the high road. I'm a follower of Jesus. I can do that. You know, I I can forgive them. That's doable. So far, so good. But then in this next verse, Jesus says something that is totally unreasonable. It's ridiculous. If he sins against you seven times in a day, that's not seven times in a lifetime. Seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent. What did Jesus say? Forgive him. Now, I don't know about you, Um, you're probably more godly than I am, but opening my heart to you again, I don't think I've reached that level of grace to where I can forgive someone seven times in a day. I'm sorry to disappoint you as your pastor, and I can generally forgive you one time without too much of a struggle, and then if it's not a big sin, I, I can probably forgive you twice, maybe three times, four times, that's a little bit iffy. You know, if you sin against me four times in one day, by now I'm saying, you're really not serious about saying you're sorry, and so why should I forgive you? How about forgiving you five times? You're kidding. How about six times in a day? Don't even ask. Seven times? Forgive you seven times in one day? Only when Hades freezes over. I don't think I've reached the level of grace to where I can forgive someone seven times in one day. And you can act super spiritual and polish your halo. Probably most of you, you haven't reached that level of grace either. Well, the disciples, after hearing this and realizing that that, that Jesus wasn't joking, maybe to start with, they thought, ha, ha, ha. And they saw that he wasn't joking. He was serious. And maybe they just blurred out and they say, Jesus, we love you. We want to follow you. But honestly, Master, we're not spiritually mature enough to forgive the jerk who sins against us seven times in one day. And and so, what were their very next words? This is where verse 5 comes in that we already read. It says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus, to be able to forgive the same guy seven times in one day, we're going to have, you're going to need to do a work in our heart and increase our faith because we're not there yet. Which, by the way, is where, where we get the title for this lesson, Faith to Forgive. Now, again, last week we talked about letting go of those smaller offenses that happened at school or work or at church where someone didn't talk to you or got upset at the doctor, your pastor, your spouse. There was someone that was cranky to you and and, and I found that in my life, those things can be challenging enough to let go of. But as I said earlier, we're going to take this matter to a significantly deeper level. 
and talk about those offenses that aren't so small. Maybe it was a spouse that betrayed you and ripped your heart out. Maybe it was a business partner that you trusted, but you found out the hard way that he couldn't be trusted. It could have been an authority figure in your life, someone that you respected, someone that should have protected you, but instead they touched you inappropriately and in their sick, twisted way made you think it was your fault. How are we supposed to forgive them? Especially when they not only committed a sin, but in some instances, they committed a crime. And then how do we forgive someone who is still doing things that in our minds seems almost unforgivable? Well, let me make it clear here at the very beginning, I don't have all the answers, nor have I arrived. I'm, I'm a fellow struggler. I haven't completely cracked the code on how to let go of some hurts. And I know that many of you have dealt with much deeper hurts than I have ever dealt with. My life has been so easy in comparison to some of your lives. Many of you have, have wounds that are, that are so deep, they're heart-wrenching. I can't relate to that. Some of you had parents that were alcoholics or drug users, and I can't relate to that. Others of you, as a result of the poor choices of your parents, you spent a good deal of your childhood in the foster care system. I can't relate to that. Others of you were raised in an atmosphere of obscenity and cursing and pornography, and some of you have experienced things that I can't come close to being able to relate to. However, in my very blessed and even sheltered life, there have been a few things, just a few things that I've experienced that have caused me to bump up against the matter of forgiveness because of betrayal and hurt. And again, nothing like many of you, but on just a much smaller scale. And as I prayed about today's lesson, I felt like I felt I should share with you a window of my childhood that was painful for me. And, and honestly, I have, I've questioned what good can come from sharing this. In fact, I was asking someone that in my office this morning, and I was late for the early service, and I was, uh, I, I got marked uh, late, and so there's a mark on my record, I guess, permanent record, because I was late for the service this morning, but I was asking that question, what good could possibly come from sharing this. But as I've been praying about this, and, and, and I knew that last week I wanted to deal with the smaller offenses, and today we were going to go deeper. And, and so about two weeks ago, I began to feel I, I led, I, and I'm always careful to attribute it to the Lord because sometimes humanity gets in the way. But I've been praying about this, and for two weeks I haven't been able to shake it. So I trust this is of the Lord, and perhaps this will help someone else. What I'm about to share is, that, is something that until three years ago, I had kept to myself. I would literally never shared this with a soul. Not my parents, not my wife, not any friends. This had been a deep, dark secret I had carried alone for over 50 years. Finally, three years ago, I opened up and I shared this with my wife and my daughters. And then I shared this in a small group that I was leading. Most of you know part of my background. My parents were amazing, godly examples in my life. 
Dad and Mom were missionaries for 16 years in South America, which is where I was born. When they retired from the mission field, Dad became a pastor, and he pastored faithfully. He was not a megachurch pastor. He was one of those pastors that was faithful to just a small crowd and didn't matter if there were 30 or 40 or 50 he was faithful there what a great role model for me and uh dad pastored until mom's health failed and dad felt like that his main ministry was to devote his attention to my mom anyways as when I was around the age of seven to eight, a trusted Christian teacher, and I won't say where this happened except that it was not in this geographical area, a female teacher at the school that I attended began to show me some unusual attention. And I will make this appropriate for all age groups, so your kids are safe here. In fact, probably is good that they're here. She began to show unusual attention to me, and little by little it progressed until one day she began to do things to me that initially as a very sheltered seven to eight-year-old, I didn't understand. It was confusing to me. Continued to progress until she did things to me that were very wrong and inappropriate, and I will leave it at that. She did things that were very blatantly sinful and, and even of a criminal nature. This went on for a several-month period. To complicate things, around this same time period, something else took place, and there was a pastor that I respected, not to mention that he was also very respected by others to the point of being a denominational leader. One day, he took me into the church where he was pastoring and proceeded to do things that were also very wrong. This happened in the very sanctuary where he preached every Sunday morning. This went on for a year or so. Again, I carried this alone for about 53 years. It was a secret that I intended to take to my grave. And you ask, why didn't I talk with anyone? Well, many years later, I, I know full well I didn't handle this the right way. And I'm not here to justify why I didn't say anything, why I didn't talk with anyone. Um, I, I didn't handle it the right way. But those of you who have experienced something similar, you understand, don't you? Generally, in a situation like this... The victim, even as a seven to eight-year-old, we're made to feel that it's our fault. So I didn't share it, partially because I felt guilty. I felt dirty. I felt embarrassed. I felt that I had perhaps even crossed the line and grieved the Holy Spirit to where I didn't know if God could even forgive me. Finally, three years ago, it was like something began to build within me, and it was almost that I began to sense that it was time to share my lifelong secret. And I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't believe it because I fully intended for that secret to be buried with me. But I finally opened up to my wife and my girls, and then I opened up, as I said, to the life group that I was leading, and then shortly after was asked to share this at a breakout session at a conference. But anyway, the reason that, that I told you that is because what took place during this window of my life brought me to a point to where I was confronted with the issue of forgiving those whom I had started to view as my enemies. And so the question I want to deal with is, how do you forgive? How do you forgive when you don't feel like forgiving? 
How do you forgive when not only have sins been committed against you, but those sins were crimes? Someone once described trying to forgive situations like, uh, like that in this manner. It's like trying to vacuum up a piece of lint on the carpet and, you know, it just won't come up. And so you attack it from this way and in the strength of the Lord, then you go this way and, and it won't come up. And so what do you do? You bend down and pick up that piece of lint and roll it up and throw it back down again and try to vacuum it again. And it's still stubborn and, and doesn't want to let go. And trying to forgive is sometimes like that lint. As much as you try, as much as you pray, as much as you decide every day that I'm going to let go of this, you just can't. But I want to make it clear before we discuss forgiveness in more detail that regardless of how wrong and regardless of how sinful of an act might have been committed against you and regardless of the fact that it might even cross have crossed over into it being a criminal act, God clearly tells us that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're not only to forgive, but Jesus takes it one step further and he says something really radical. He says, you are to love, love your enemies. These are direct commandments from God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, I like that plan. I like the sound of that plan. Love the people who are nice to you. Hate the people that are mean to you. But that was not Christ's plan. In verse 44, he goes on, he says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And if that wasn't enough, then we see the, the Apostle Paul makes things even more uncomfortable. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. But, but then Jesus takes it one step further, and it keeps going on and on. And, and, and in Matthew chapter 6, his words, they stop me in my tracks. Because in verse 14 it says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But listen to this. If you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So our, our failure to forgive others causes God to not forgive us. So let's talk about forgiveness this morning. What does it really mean to forgive? Well, in order to understand what forgiveness is, Let's first talk about what forgiveness is not. First of all, forgiveness is not forgetting. To forgive doesn't mean that all of a sudden the hurt and the pain and, and the raw emotions just vanish from our memory. It doesn't work that way. You know, when I got older and was confronted with the need to forgive that teacher and that pastor... And when through God's grace, I finally was able to do that, it didn't erase the memory of what they had done to me. In fact, even today, 53 years later, that's a long time, I can almost replay the exact sequence of details that happened. You've heard people say, well, you just need to forgive and forget. Well, you need to forgive. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you will forget. 
Secondly, forgiveness is not just sweeping it under the rug. It's not saying that you shouldn't take legal action. It's not saying that you have to allow them to continue to abuse you or hurt you and just, you know, smile and take it for the glory of Jesus. No, a, a thousand times no. Even after forgiveness has been granted, there are many times when it will still be necessary to create healthy boundaries and say, you know, this is the way it will be from now on. Or, I'm sorry, we have to get the law involved. Forgiveness is not just sweeping it under the rug. Something else, forgiveness won't always seem fair. And you know what seems fair, at least from the human perspective, is to pay them back. I mean, you, you took away my innocence. And fairness says, I'm going to get you for that. You'll suffer. And the thoughts that I had in my mind about this pastor and teacher that took advantage of me, I'll admit they were not positive and encouraging. I'm sorry, Caleb. <laughs> and one of the reasons was, here's what got me. <laughs> because these people were still respected. I couldn't stand that. Um, the, the teacher actually passed away a few years ago, but until she died, she was respected. And this pastor is still alive today. And you mention his name in certain circles. He's looked up to. People say, that's a good man. That's not been easy for me. I've been in certain meetings where his name has come up to be considered for certain ministries. And again, he's not in this particular geographical area. But as, as his name would come up, I wanted to... I wanted to reveal to the world, can I just say it the way we say it in Cedar County, that he was a scumbag. I wanted to let the world know how awful he was, what he had done to me. And, and I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, why didn't you, Joe? Why, why did you keep your mouth shut? Why, why didn't you blow the whistle? Why didn't you report it? And those are good questions. And again, 53 years later, I know I should have done things differently, but for someone on the outside, it's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's easy to look on and say, Joe, you added to the problem. You didn't stop him or her. wonder how many times they've done this to others. You should have blown the whistle. And you are absolutely right. I'm not going to argue with you there. But for those of you that have gone through this, you understand, don't you? As I mentioned, victims are generally made to feel like it's their fault. But then also, when you blow the whistle, listen, your life will never be the same because the law gets involved and it's supposed to be private. You hotline, nobody's supposed to know, but it becomes public knowledge, your life changes. And then should it go to court, it becomes an ugly battle because it's your word against his or your word against hers. Now, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't report it because you should, but I'm just simply saying that victims fear this whole process of justice and it becoming public. And so that is why so many people just carry this to the grave. And it was interesting, after I shared this in our small group, there was a lady who talked with me, and for the first time ever, she opened up that this had happened in her life decades ago as well. Um... And, uh, you know, if I would have tried to guess 
the least likely person to have suffered this type of abuse, she would have been probably at the very top because she came from a very protective home, a very good, stable home. She now has a good and wonderful family and marriage, but, but she had been abused. And until she told me she had never breathed a word to one soul, not her parents, not her husband of many years until she told me. And, and back to my story, what was interesting is that when, when I was in college, on occasion, this pastor would send me some money. Not great amounts, maybe $50 here, maybe 25 here. I assume it was his guilt. He was trying to pay me to, so I'd be quiet. And, and honestly, if I wouldn't have been a poor college student that desperately needed the money, and you college students know what I'm talking about, but I would have probably sent that money back to him with a nasty note. Because to me, that was dirty money. But all of that to say that, you know, forgiveness isn't fair because it, it, it isn't fair that this pastor is still respected. And it isn't fair that I've had to carry this all of these years. But to my knowledge, he's gotten off scot-free. It's not fair. But what has helped me to deal with this matter of fairness is, is the realization. And, and I'm thankful for this. God has not always been fair with me. Because if God would have been fair to me, I would have gotten what my sins deserved. The wages of sin is death. And I was a sinner. That's what would have been fair for me. Now, God is just, but he's not always fair. Do you understand? I love the power of Psalm 103, verse 10. It says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Amen. He's just, but he's not always fair. Or repay us according to our iniquity. So we deserve death. We deserve hell. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. This is good news. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. What a great verse. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not just sweeping it under the rug. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you shouldn't call the authorities. Forgiveness is not always fair. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is giving others what God through Christ gave us. Question. Have you been forgiven of anything? Have you experienced grace that you didn't deserve? And by the way, if you have been perfect and haven't been forgiven of anything, you're in the wrong church. Because this church is a place for messed up people like me and like most of you. People that are in desperate need of God's daily grace. And I don't know... I don't know what you've been forgiven of, but I've been forgiven of a bunch of sins in my life. And I'm not going to tell you all of them, but I've been forgiven of stealing. Yes, I have stolen. I've been forgiven of lying. Yes, I have lied. I've been forgiven of cheating. Yes, I have cheated. I've been forgiven of having hateful and lustful and prideful and vindictive and carnal thoughts. I've experienced grace that I did not deserve but I sure needed. And something that is so important here, the gospel isn't just receiving forgiveness, but it's giving forgiveness. 
in the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, and it really should be probably referred to as the model prayer. It says to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass us and uh, against us. And have you ever stopped to think what you're praying? You may not want to pray that prayer whenever you really think about it. You're asking God to forgive you like you forgive others. So if you're not forgiving someone else, then in the Lord's Prayer, you're basically asking God not to forgive you. Have you ever thought about that? That stopped me in my tracks too. Forgive us our trespasses. How? As we forgive those who trespass against us. So if those who trespass against us, if we can't forgive them, then we're saying, God, don't forgive my sins. That's what you're praying. So we are not only to receive forgiveness, but we're to give forgiveness. And let me say it this way. Maybe it's something that you can remember down the road. Forgiveness shouldn't just flow to us. It should also flow through us. Forgiveness flows to us. Flows to us. But it should also flow through us. And I know there are so many areas where forgiveness is difficult. For example, many people struggle forgiving a spouse where there has been unfaithfulness. And in their hurt and in their anger, and rightly so, they will say, well, adultery is biblical grounds for divorce. And it is. If your spouse has cheated on you, you have grounds for divorce. But let me remind you, Adultery is also grounds for forgiveness. Adultery is biblical grounds for forgiveness. You know, you can choose to seek a divorce and have biblical backing, but you can also choose to offer something that your spouse may not deserve, and that's forgiveness. And I can't tell you what to do in your marriage. I don't know your story. Every situation is different. I know there are times when there's abuse and continued infidelity. And, and there are probably some instances where you need to get out of the marriage. But I can also tell you this, that every good marriage is always made up of two forgivers. Two good forgivers because we're all imperfect. If you want a bad marriage, keep score. Hang on to offenses. If you want a good marriage... Freely offer grace. Again, I can't tell you what to do. There may be those times when you need to run. But I also know that there are those times when we need to just extend grace. Well, as we uh, head for the finish line here, at least try to wrap this up, the day came when I was confronted with the decision, do I carry this the rest of my life and run the risk of becoming bitter? And, and run the risk of becoming cynical towards female teachers? Run the risk of becoming cynical towards pastors? Or do I forgive them and through God's grace let it go? And I wish, I wish I could be up here before you and say that both the teacher and the pastor came to me and asked for forgiveness. Neither ever did. But that doesn't matter to me anymore. Because I came to the point of realizing that I had to forgive, not for them, but for me. For me. 
As forgiveness flowed to me, I also had to open the valve where it could flow through me to others. And have you ever wondered why God is so unbending when it comes to forgiving others? I mean, this is, this is one of those things that you just bump up against. You've got to forgive, 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 for, forgive your enemies, love your enemies. Why? Why is God so unbending? Because forgiveness brings healing. Again, not to the other person, but to you. Forgiving the person that betrayed you, forgiving the person that lied about you, forgiving the person that cheated you won't set them free, but it will set you free. And don't fall into the trap of asking how much forgiveness they deserve. Don't go there because the issue really is how much freedom do you desire? It's not how much forgiveness they deserve. It's how much freedom do you desire? And forgiveness will never be easy. Easy is hold a grudge. Easy is continue to re rehearse what they did. Easy is to not talk to them. Easy is to make that post on Facebook. That's easy. Hard is forgiving. And rarely will you ever feel like forgiving. You know, some people say, well, I'll just know the right time. You know, I'll feel it when the time is right. Probably not. You know, today, 53 years later, I still don't feel like forgiving them. <laughs> I have, but if I would have gone on feelings, I wouldn't have forgiven. And so you will probably need to forgive long before you feel like it. By faith, choose to let it go. And when you do that, you will no longer be a prisoner. You will be set free. So back to the scripture that just really changed my entire perspective this past week is and I'm so thankful that God can still get through this old slow mind of mine on occasion but Jesus said forgive this guy even if he sins against you seven times and one day you still need to forgive him and and the disciples responded back and said Jesus we aren't there but we want to get there so would you please increase our faith so that we can forgive like that so maybe for our wrap-up today, and I know that more than likely there are some people here that you're like me. And by the way, you don't need to feel sorry for me. I'm not saying this. I, I am good. I've lived a wonderful, blessed life. You don't need to feel sorry for me at all. But I know there are some of you that you could say, hashtag me too. Me too. And some of you, maybe this is the day that you need to let it go. Do they deserve it? Nope. Are they bums? Maybe. But you need to be free. You need to be free. Now I want to pray in just a moment, but let me just give maybe some uh, boots on the ground practical advice. Parents, I think sometimes we as parents, we fall into the trap of trying to be overly protective. And, you know, we want to supervise every moment of every day of our children. And you can't do that, and that's not even healthy. Parents that try that almost all the time regret it. There has to be some freedom. But could I just say, parents, be involved in your children's life. Be involved be involved have activities together 
There may be a time when you need to limit the screen time, the phone time, the iPad time, the television time, whatever, the social media time. There may be those controls that need to be set up, but just be involved with your children. Young people, could I talk to you just a moment? You know, when someone maybe suspiciously begins to show you some unusual attention that you don't understand, back off. Back off from them. And I'd like to tell you, just talk to your parents, but I know sometimes we as parents, we're the hardest people to talk to. So young people, if you can't talk with your parents, maybe talk with Miss Tessie or Pastor Jim or somebody that you have confidence in. Share with them. Share with them. Don't, don't let yourself be in a situation that years later you'd say, you know what, if I would have just brought somebody into my life at this point to help me walk through it, I'd be in so much better shape. And then the last thing, I guess, just to reiterate what I've said, if something has happened in this area or there's so many different areas, there are so many hashtag me too's. It doesn't have to be in this area, but it can be where you've been burned in other areas. Some people have hurt you, betrayed you, lied about you, lied to you, cheated you. If, if that's happened today, could you just say, God, I don't want to forgive. I don't feel like forgiving. I don't like them. But by faith, I am choosing to let forgiveness flow through me to them. I want to be set free. Could we do that today? Would you bow your heads, please? God, I think the Me Too movement today has really opened a lot of eyes, and I, I honestly believe that a lot of the Me Too movement is bad because it's vindictive. It's... They're trying to bring revenge. They're trying to get financial gain. But I think, Lord, probably especially in the church, there, needs, there needed to be a little bit of an openness to where there's an atmosphere to where we can share with each other. And God, I know it's really tough for me, and especially when I know services are on the radio or services are live-streamed, and it's tough for me to share this, and that's why I struggled for two weeks. But, God, I pray that you would just take this and use it. And, Lord, as someone came to me after the early service and weeping, said, me too. And, Lord, I know that could be multiplied time and time again. But I pray, God, that this would not bring attention to what was done. This would just bring attention to the fact that we can be free through the forgiveness that God gives us that flows through us. And so, Lord, I pray that, again, we wouldn't just focus on all of those things that happen in our life, the ugly things. God, for, forbid that that would happen. Lord, that th those scars would be reopened and the, the openness, the raw wounds. God, forbid that that would happen, that that would be the focus. But I pray that the focus would be that did happen. But thank God he's forgiven me and I'm going to forgive then and I am going to be set free. Father, I pray that that would be the response of the people, that, that the old wounds would not be reopened, but rather they would be healed.
they would be healed. And so, Father, I pray that you would do a work today, even over the coming days. And God, if there are some people here that need to talk with someone, let them find someone that's godly. Let them find someone that they can confide in. They would pray together and experience the freedom that comes from letting go. And so, God, I just pray again your, your mercy upon these people here, your blessings, your favor. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for not being fair to us. Thank you for being just, but thank you that you weren't always fair because, Lord, your grace gave us what really we didn't deserve. That's mercy, forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for being so loving. Minister. Lord, I pray that you would minister to these people. Lord, people are praying, I believe, and letting go of some things. I pray that you would just minister to them right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.